Welcome to the Thinking Leader Podcast, sponsored by Red Team Thinking. Bad leaders react, good leaders plan, and great leaders think. In each episode, we bring you new ideas and insights from some of the greatest business and thought leaders to help you think more deeply and lead more effectively so that you can be a great leader too. Here again is your host, best-selling author, speaker, and unconsultant, Bryce Hoffman. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Thinking Leader Podcast. I am your host, Bryce Hoffman, and today I am joined by my good friend and mentor, legendary CEO, Alan Mulally. For those of you who don't know Alan, he began his career as an aerospace engineer at Boeing, rising to become president and CEO of that company's commercial airplanes group in 2001. Alan led Boeing through its near-death experience after 9-11 and returned that company to record profitability in less than five years. Now, a lot of people took notice of that, and one of them was Bill Ford. His company, Ford Motor Company, was on the brink of bankruptcy back in 2006, and Bill did an amazing thing. He stepped aside and turned his company over to Allen, who went on to lead a top-to-bottom global restructuring of Ford Motor Company that transformed Ford into one of the most profitable automakers in the world. And Allen did it in the midst of the Great Recession. He did it without taking a government bailout, and he did it as the rest of the American automobile industry collapsed around him. It was one of the most amazing comebacks in business history, and it was the subject of my first book, American Icon, Alan Mulally and the Fight to Save Ford Motor Company. But I am not the only one who's been impressed by Alan. Alan was named one of the 100 most influential people in the world by Time Magazine, one of the world's best CEOs by Fortune, Industry Leader of the Year by Automotive Magazine, Person of the Year by Aviation Week, and CEO of the Year by CEO Magazine. Alan retired from Ford in 2014. Today, he serves on the board of directors of a little company called Alphabet, a.k.a. Google, and he is a senior fellow at Seattle University's Albers School of Business. Alan, good morning and welcome to the podcast. Good morning to you, Bryce. I'm glad to be with you. It's such a privilege to have you with us today. I really believe with all of my heart that there is no CEO in America that offers people a example of leadership through crisis, through trying times like you do, because you not only led one iconic American and global company through a near-death experience or an existential crisis, but two, Boeing and Ford. And you not only saved those companies, they emerged stronger and better than ever after it. And I think that right now, as so many leaders are, are just trying to figure out how to survive the present crisis, thinking a little bit farther out about how you can not just survive, but thrive in times like this is so important. So tell me, Alan, what was it like leading Boeing in 2001? Well, it just gives me shivers to think about it again uh, for what it meant to all of us uh, worldwide. I actually was the CEO of Boeing Commercial Airplanes at the time, and I was with our customers on the pond and Japan Airlines in Sapporo, Japan. And it was getting late, and I was watching TV, and it, in the TV at that time, it didn't even have a CNN. And so it was a small screen, and I noticed what it looked like a small airplane hitting a building. 
And I got up out of my chair and I walked up to the TV and I looked at it very carefully and I realized that they were seven six sevens hitting the towers in New York City. And I knew the airplanes quite well, of course, because they're Boeing airplanes. And I, I just, I couldn't imagine that. And I never, as an airplane designer, in my wildest dreams, I never envisioned, we never envisioned or designed the airplane assuming that commercial airplane could be used as a weapon. And I knew this was going to change all of our lives dramatically forever. I actually uh, called up my counterpart, the CEO of United Airlines, and to ask him what was happening. And he told me they were trying to decide now whether to put the, all the airplanes down on the ground because they didn't know how many terrorists were out there. And I said, can I just stay online with you? And he said, oh, absolutely. I need a friend more than ever. And within a few minutes, the United States made the decision to ground all the airplanes. So any airplane coming in to the United States or operating within the United States was asked to uh, go on the ground within 30 minutes. So I made it back to the United States and, and Boeing and Seattle. And we started meeting immediately and analyzing the situation and the environment and what it meant to us near term, but also what it meant to us longer term. And we knew uh, right away that uh, this was going to affect people's confidence and their desire to travel. And it was going to mean that we didn't need to produce all the airplanes that we were producing at that time. And of course, that turned out to be true. And we had actually delivered the year before uh, around 620 commercial airplanes at the time. And the year following the terrorist attacks, we delivered uh, like 280. And no company that I know of has ever suffered that kind of a reduction in their, their volume, uh, their throughput, and survived as a company because it's just very hard to react fast enough to constrain the cash flow expense to survive. A lot of experts at the time, Alan, thought that Boeing wouldn't survive. They thought that Boeing would, would go bankrupt because of this. That's exactly and right. Yet, and yet you, you didn't just survive. By the time you left Boeing, five years later, the company was doing fabulous. How, how did you do that? To your point, we uh, became the number one uh, commercial airplane company in the world, the preferred airplane uh, supplier. Well, it goes back to those next days after the terrorist attacks. And so what we did is we recommitted to use the working together principles and practices in the management system that we had used to develop and support all of the, the wonderful Boeing airplanes around the world. And the most important thing that, that we knew we needed to do was to face reality, not what we wished it could be or hoped it could be, but what we really thought our reality was, as you described. And of course, our other principles that we use is that everything was going to be about people. Alan, a lot of people may not be familiar with what this working together process is. And I want to talk about it for a second because it's so central and so important to what you did at Boeing and later at Ford. And it really forms the foundation, the centerpiece of your leadership model, your leadership method, your leadership processes. What are the working together principles and where do they come from? Oh, sure. Well, when I first joined Boeing, 37 years, I was, had a chance to serve there and I served on every Boeing airplane, the 707, the 727, the 737, 747, 757, 767. I was the chief engineer and the director of engineering and the program manager for the 777. And then as the CEO of Boeing Commercial Airplanes, I helped launch the 787. And commercial airplanes are very sophisticated, as you know. And 
It's all about safe and efficient transportation. They have around 4 million parts. You have hundreds of thousands of people that are working on the design of a new airplane. So the principles and practices that we used were very, very important for us to deliver these airplanes and all the requirements that they satisfy and do it on a schedule. So our principles and practices started with people first. We're going to include everybody, all the stakeholders, the airlines, the traveling public, our employees, our suppliers, the investors, the unions, everybody was going to be included. Also, we were going to come together around a compelling vision for the airplane, a comprehensive strategy for achieving it, and not only the technical strategy, but the working together strategy, the partnership strategy, and we're going to follow a very reliable, relentless implementation plan, which is the business plan review, which we would meet once a week with all the participants around the world to review the vision, the strategy, and the plan, and the status against the plan. And every member of the leadership team representing all the stakeholders would color code how that was going, whether it's on plan, uh, green, whether we had a problem, we have a solution, which was yellow, or red, that we had a new problem, but we didn't have a solution yet. Also, we were going to have really clear performance goals, one plan, use facts and data. We care what people think, but we also want to know what the data is that they're looking at. Also, everybody needs to know the plan, so we're going to share it with everybody, the status of the plan and the areas of special attention, and we're going to treat those green, yellows, and reds as gems. So we're going to say thank you so that we know what the problems are so we can work together and turn the reds, yellows, and green. The attitudes and the behaviors are really, really important. Propose a plan, positive, find a way attitude, respect each other, listen to each other, help each other, appreciate each other. Emotional resilience and trusting the process. I keep thinking of a Henry Ford quote that said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. So it's so, <laughs> it's so important that the leader and the leadership team uh, trust this working together process. And when we have a problem, thank the organization for sharing it and then go right back up to the top and make sure everybody's included in the vision and strategy and plan. The last one of our principles and practices was have fun, enjoy the journey and each other. And Bryce, I've never been so honored and pleased to be able to, to participate and serve on the creation of these wonderful products to get people together safely and efficiently. It's so fun to enjoy the journey of creating the products and supporting them, but also each other, all the participants. Now, one important corollary is never a joke at anybody else's expense. And the reason is it's never funny. And people will go along to get along. But if they feel like they could be a victim or made fun of, then it's going to degrade from the in the organization to be able to trust the process and share what the real problems are. So those are the principles and practices in the management system that we also use not only to create the greatest commercial airplanes in the world, but, but also to deal with the crises that any business is going to see over time, including the financial crisis and the terrorist attacks in our case. And this is such a powerful idea, Alan, that when you were faced as the CEO of the commercial aircraft group at Boeing, with this existential crisis, you didn't say, what do we do now? You didn't say, we need to come up with a way of dealing with this. You just did what you were already doing. Exactly. You just had the confidence that what you were doing was the right way to move forward. Absolutely. And you know, another neat thing about the way you asked that question is that we're always thinking about not only creating the products that people want and value today, but we're also thinking about the products and services that they'll want in the future in a rapidly changing world. And so part of this process is 
continually look at the business environment, the technology, the demographics, the economies around the world, uh, the business practices, and what can we do uh, focused on creating safe and efficient airplanes to support the way the world is going and could go even more effectively. And so every decision that we made following the terrorist attacks were one, what's the best thing we can do to survive this crisis by working together, but then simultaneously, what do we need to do and want to do with the decisions we make today to actually enhance our ability to serve our customers in the future? And so, for example, in our case, uh, we matched the production to the real demand. Uh, we dealt with the restructuring uh, to do that. We treated everybody with respect and compassion to share what the plan was, what the solutions we were considering, get everybody's ideas, and then implement it together. But at the same time, we also decided that what the world wanted next was an airplane smaller than the 777 to go point to point and nonstop halfway around the world. So even during this crisis, we committed to invest in the development of the new 787. So when you look at the product line today, we have the short range airplanes and then we have two long range airplanes in the 787 and the 777 that can take everybody nonstop halfway around the world connecting every city pair. So again, thinking near term, but every near term decision, thinking what it means in the long term. That's got to be tough. When you're in the midst of a crisis, I think a lot of people's first reaction is just that, to react. People react. Right. And if you react as a leader, you're not thinking, you're not planning, and you're not looking at the long term. Right. But how do you, as the senior leader, get your team calmed down and focused on, on not just getting through the present crisis, but not losing sight of the long-term opportunities as well. Exactly. And that's really neat the way you said that, because now think of our business plan review. And we're there, I'm the facilitator, I'm the coach for the meeting. We have all the leaders from around the world that are networked either with us or they're networked on the internet around the world. So we have the business unit leaders, we have leaders for every airplane program. We have all the skill teams and the functions like engineering and manufacturing, procurement, communications. So everybody's around the table. I start out the meeting. I review the vision, the strategy, and the plan. And then every member of the team reviews their contribution, their plan, strategy and plan to the overall commercial airplane plan with their color coding about how it's going against the plan. Then we summarize it at the end. Well, you can imagine that we're doing this every week. And so the minute that this happened, uh, we actually called a special attention meeting where we did the business plan review right away. And we everybody went through what this meant to us. And we also agreed on the things that we needed to do to develop a, a plan to deal with this. It's all following the very same process to your point. Now, when, whenever we're looking at the near term, we always look five to 10 to 15 years out because of the length of time it takes to develop a new airplane program. So the idea is that we want to grow the value creation over time, knowing that we have this near-term issue where we're not going to be able to do that as we get through the crisis. But every decision we make during the crisis is going to deal with the crisis, but also make us stronger as we invest to continue to create great products and great value long-term. So again, it's the same process, the same behavior that you use to, to grow the business during normal times, but also the very same process that works even more effectively when you have a, a crisis that you didn't create and now you're responding to it with the same, the same working together process. 
Is that really the primary role of a leader in a time of crisis is to keep people from getting derailed by the crisis? Absolutely. I think that's absolutely true. It gets back to that emotional resilience and trusting the process. This process works. We've used it over on every airplane program over the years. And then, you know, 37 years at Boeing and eight years at Ford during times that were pretty more, which were more stable, times where we had crises. And so the most important thing that a leader can do, the unique contribution of a leader, is to hold themselves and the team accountable and responsible for nurturing and following this working together process and the behaviors that we have described. And so it's almost in a time of crisis, you even get even more focused because you're dealing with the crisis because you have the confidence that the process you're going to use and the behaviors you're going to use are going to result in the team figuring it out, not only for the near term, but also figuring it out how to create an exciting, profitably growing company for the long term. You know, this is the amazing thing about this working together process and about you as a leader is you didn't just do this at Boeing. In 2006, five years after 9-11, you leave Boeing. Boeing is doing great. Everything is, is, is firing sure. on all cylinders. The stock price is up. The, the profits are up. The, the company has not only survived this near-death experience, but it's prospered. And you then go and become CEO of Ford Motor Company. Yes. Another iconic American and global company that is on the verge of bankruptcy when you when you walk in the door. Yes. And in the space of really just about a year, you already have the ship turned around and then the global financial crisis hits. Yes. Yes. And the entire automobile industry in America collapses. And yet, once again, using these same principles, using this same approach, you not only lead forward through this crisis, but you lead it to emerge stronger and better than ever. Yes. Well, wow. You described it very well. Just for perspective, I never thought I would, would leave Boeing. And I had another airplane, new airplane I wanted to help launch. And, and I loved the vision. I loved what I, I was doing to serve. And then I get a call from Bill Ford. And I'm thinking, Bryce, Bill Ford, the great-grandson of Henry Ford. And of course, I've already mentioned Henry Ford already. And for what he did for America in engineering and manufacturing and innovation and saving efficient transportation, now he's one of our heroes. And so I was very interested in what Bill Ford had to say. And Ford, and Bill is a, he's a wonderful person. He's a great leader. And he's a titular head of the, of the Ford family that owns, owns Ford. And he's such an, an honest person and has great perspective. And he shared everything with me about what the situation was. And he shared that Ford had become a house of brands. They had purchased Aston Martin and Jaguar and Land Rover and Volvo and, and Mazda. And also that they had become very regionalized. And each of the regions around the world had a different product line, a different business plan. And Ford was competing with these global powerhouses uh, out of Europe and Asia Pacific and, and China. And also they had become a fast follower on technology where they were uh, the leader and almost a little risk adverse. Also with agreements that they had with uh, all, some of the stakeholders, they didn't have a competitive cost structure and productivity. And they had overcapacity by nearly 300% in all of the assets. And 
kind of the bottom line was they were losing money on each one of those brands and each one of the vehicles. And the first forecast that I saw, Bryce, uh, as you know, for the profits for the entire year was a $17 billion loss. And four months later, wow. after I arrived, we achieved it. So <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't a forecast accuracy issue. This was we really needed to come together around our vision and our strategy and a plan for the company going forward. So when I arrived, as you pointed out, I the only thing I brought with me was our working together principles and practices that we just described. And I sat down with the team and First thing we did is, is we select leaders uh, from each of the businesses around the world and the skill teams. I taught them all about working together. We, we're going to decide on the vision and strategy and a plan together to deal with this reality, both in the near term and in long term, same point. And then uh, we're going to go to work on the business plan review to implement that. And we're going to do that following our behaviors that created not, not only this smart organization, but a healthy organization that was helping each other. And as you pointed out, the four-point strategy that we developed was one, to restructure the business, to have our production match the real demand, and also to develop a new cars and trucks that people really wanted to value. And also to borrow a small home improvement loan at $23.5 billion <laughs> to, to finance the restructuring and the development of the new products that people want and value. And then, of course, the biggest one, the foundation, was we were going to work together as one Ford team all around the world and divest all of the other brands and focus on the Ford brand, which was 65, 70% of the business. And every new Ford vehicle would be best in class against the best competitors in the world in terms of quality, fuel efficiency, safety, and really smart design and connectivity and affordability. And so we went to work, as you said, we moved fast and deliberately using the business plan review every week. And in the first quarter of 2008, we went from a $17 billion loss to a $100 million profit in the first quarter. <laughs> and we were so happy. I mean, we, we were turning the company around and then the financial crisis hit. GM and Chrysler told the government that they were close to bankruptcy and we're asking them for help to stay alive. I want to stop right here because this is probably one of the most powerful moments of leadership that anyone in the United States, at least, has seen in the past half century. Because initially, you were right there with them. Ford was went to Washington, you know, saying, hey, the whole industry's collapsed. We need a bailout. But you made a decision that is such a risky, must have been such a hard decision to make on your way back from those first hearings, you decided, you know what? I don't want to be here with these guys who are just asking for money to keep doing the same thing they've been doing for the past three years. We've got a plan. We've been saving ourselves. And if this crisis had not happened, we would be fine. So let's keep doing that. Let's tell the government, thanks. Let's tell the American taxpayers, thanks. We appreciate your willingness to help sure. us, but, but we sure. created these problems and we're going to fix them ourselves. In the middle of what then was the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression, Absolutely. you made the decision to pass on a bailout. Absolutely. And, I, and we agonized about it, Bryce. And we were working very closely with the government and Treasury and the Fed. And we shared their concerns that if the economy was, was degrading so fast, and if GM and Chrysler would have gone into free fall in bankruptcy, even before bankruptcy, 
that they would have taken down a large portion of the U.S. economy and all of our technology companies, all the suppliers. And we could have ended up in a recession that was worse than the depression. That's what the Fed, I believe, at the time. And so we had our plan. We were well along on implementing the plan. We were barely profitable, but we were on our way to creating a profitable growing company for the good of, of all the stakeholders. And we decided that even though it was hard for us to support a bankrupt competitor because the assets really normally would always be given to somebody else, that we would go back and I would go back and testify on their behalf that the U.S. government consider helping them out temporarily for the good of the U.S. and the world economy. And, and it's so interesting, and they did, and we were very pleased that we did that we turned forward around without asking for precious taxpayer money. And what it meant to the, the citizens of the United States was incredible. They were so proud of Ford. They, everybody was watching the hearings. We shared with them our story and our strategy and our vision for the company going forward and making the best cars and trucks in the world and making them affordable. And they started checking out the, the Ford vehicles now because we had them now available because, like you said, Earlier, during the worst of times, we were also thinking about the longer term, and so we were investing in all the new products. They loved them, and we would just get every day uh, hundreds of notes from our wonderful Ford stores with stories about people coming in and saying, we've been following the Ford story and what they've done, and in fact, they did that without taking precious taxpayer money, and they got these new products and services. And you can imagine the pride that all the stakeholders, the employees, the suppliers, the dealers themselves, the investors, the bankers that they had in being part of the Ford plan and also supporting the Ford plan. Yeah, as you know, I was a journalist at the time covering Ford Motor Company. You sure were. News, <laughs> and my phone was ringing off the hook with dealers, with customers from around the country saying exactly that, how proud they were of Ford, how people were calling me up and saying, you know, what? I, I remember one woman calling me and saying, I just bought a brand new Jeep and <laughs> I just want you to know with 23 miles on it, I took it to the Ford dealership and threw the keys on the counter and said, I want to trade this in for a Ford because I am not going to be seen driving around town in a product made by a company that could only survive because they took my taxpayer dollars to do it. And, and that was just one of, of thousands of stories like that. The bet you made paid off in such a big way. But, and I'm going to say this because I know you're too nice of a guy to say anything critical about people. But there were a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, there were some people in the senior leadership team at Ford, most notably the chief financial officer at the time, who thought this was crazy, who thought that, okay, we get it, Alan. You want to pass on the bailout because you want to own our mistakes and you want to show the American people that we're going to fix them ourselves. But if you're going to do that in the middle of this crisis, when we have enough money under our current projections to last till July, I believe it was, you've got to stop this plan. You've got to stop this development of new products that people want and value. You've got to stop investing in all of these grand vision that you have of a new Ford Motor Company. And we just got to conserve cash. You said to him, no, we need to keep our foot on the gas. Well, he was a tremendous chief financial officer because of his knowledge and his experience. And he was reflecting at the time what he thought the possibilities were and whether we could have the faith of the investment community to borrow money because we had a plan to not only save Ford, but create an exciting, viable Ford that would pay the money back and also benefit all the people that invested in Ford, all the stakeholders. And so 
that was a conversation we had and we talked about the plan and uh, he asked me to go with him and the team and present the plan to all of the banks around the world to uh, raise our home improvement loan, as I used to call it. <laughs> and so I shared, of course, they knew what we had done at Boeing and they really wanted to hear what we were going to do at Ford because they, Ford's a great company and it's, it's served the United States and, and customers around the world for you know, over a hundred years. They wanted to, to believe. And when we shared every detail of the plan that we just talked about, we shared it with everybody, all the bankers. And within two weeks, we had raised $23.5 billion. And, and he was over the moon. And he did a great job uh, helping me get it done. And of course, once we had that backing from the banks and the dealers and employees and the suppliers, then no one started stopped worrying about it, as you covered very well in your stories. They started focusing on on the business plan review, the status, what are the areas need special attention, the reds, yellows, how are we going to help each other? And so now we had 100% of everybody's talent and motivation appointed in a, in a way to implement this plan and not only save Ford, but create a, a probably growing long-term, a viable, exciting fund for it. But when the, when the economy collapsed, when the auto industry collapsed, it's a natural response when your job is, is looking out to the purse strings to say, okay, this plan's great. I got it. But now we got to do something else. We got to stop everything and just try to get through this. And I think right now in the present crisis that we're dealing with, there's probably a lot of leaders feeling the same thing. Like maybe we should just freeze everything and get through this. But that wasn't your response, was it? No. And I think there is always an alternative, like you said. And I think it starts with really facing reality. Again, back not to what you wish it would be or you, you hope it could be. And in our case now, we are in that situation and we're dealing with that situation because we have a, a virus that we're dealing with and no one caused this. They didn't do anything wrong. But the impact of that is something that is unprecedented for our, our economy. And also, we're also dealing with the economy. So clearly, coming together around a vision and a strategy for our country to deal with both the virus and the economy is the most important thing that we can do together. And what we know is if you get all the talented people together that can help, and you get them together, and you come together around the vision, the strategy, and plan, and start implementing it by working together, there is nothing especially the United States, there's nothing that we can't overcome and turn a horrible situation uh, into a even a stronger uh, country going forward for all of us. What would be your number one piece of advice to, to leaders right now who are trying to figure out how to respond to this and how to find the way forward for their companies? Well, I think that, again, I this is all I know is this is our working together principles and practices and the management system and including everybody. And, and I, I just want to jump in here and tell people too, we'll put in the show notes, a copy of a beautiful slide, Alan prepared outlining all of the working together principles. So check out the show notes and you can download that. Sure. I, I think the what we're doing now is moving in the, in the right direction clearly because we're, including all the stakeholders, everybody that knows about medicine and viruses and, and how to uh, move towards vaccines and everybody that is working on that and are also working on what it means to the economy and what 
can the U.S. government and the states and the business, what can we do by working together? I think that is the, the most important thing. And you can imagine a, a tremendous piece about that is the, is the leadership for pulling everybody together to do this together. So if you were running a company right now, what would be the first thing that you would do with your team? Well, in this situation, I think what we're doing is, is what I'd be doing. And that is the first thing, priority is to help keep all your employees safe, whether they're working part-time or whether they're, they're at home. And then uh, also at the same time, work together on uh, dealing with the virus as well as the testing and as well as the vaccines and integrate all that together so that as we are able to come out of it, that we know uh, where the situations are, how we can deal with it, keeping people safe, starting to create, get the economy going again, but doing that by working together is exactly what I would be doing. And, and I think that's what everybody is moving to as fast as we can. Would you also be looking at what could we find in the current crisis that could potentially be an opportunity? I don't mean an opportunity in, in an opportunistic sense, no, no, sure. but in a opportunity to, to use this crisis to think differently about how we do things that we might emerge stronger from this. Oh, Bryce, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up because I remember that kind of the theme in here is that you're dealing with the current reality and whatever we do today, we're also thinking about the future and how you could even improve the future with the products and services and the technology that's developing. And you think about what we have learned about communicating when we've been apart and the technology that enables that. I think that's unlimited potential about what could happen on the way we work together, on the way we educate, because the technology is there now that we have some real options about how we can work together and improve the quality and the productivity. And of course, a lot of the things we've been working on is on transportation. And what's the, what's the future of transportation? It's probably not going to be trying to put more and more vehicles into the cities as the cities are growing. So what are we going to do about mass transit, rapid transit, and using artificial intelligence and machine learning to provide those capabilities even more productively? Because clearly, as we move more and more people of the world into the cities, then the quality of life there and the transportation, the movement are going to be a really important thing. Well, we've been thinking about those things. And so maybe this is a time and it's happening where we really need to accelerate that thinking about what is the future going to look like in the areas that we can contribute in. And I, and I think that's very exciting while we deal with the current reality. And that's so important. And that gets to this point about it's not about reacting. It's about thinking and leading. And, you know, if you react, you may put out the fire, but you may do a lot of damage behind the scenes. That near term, yeah, near term and long term. Thinking and acting near term and with always a view of long-term value creation because we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this by working together. And part of our responsibility is to create a future that's even that benefits even more people in a better way going forward. That's so powerful. One last question, and I think it's really important, so I, I don't want to lose track of it. How do you develop the emotional resiliency as a leader to have the confidence to do what you just described, to show people that we need to not just be reacting. We need to be thinking long-term. We need to keep our eyes on the prize. We need to, to, sure. to not just have short-term vision. To do that, you've got to have emotional resiliency in right. yourself. And, you know, when I was researching American Icon and you and Bill gave me access to everyone in, in Ford Motor Company and everybody I talked to, I asked the same question, which was what was the one time 
when you saw Alan, you know, kind of not sure he was going to make it. Did you ever see Alan, you know, kind of with sweat on his brow? And every <laughs> single person I talked to, every single one said, I never saw Alan show up with anything but a smile on his face and a confident attitude. I mean, a lot of people told me that when they asked you, will you promise us that if we do these hard things, we'll get through? You said, no, I won't promise you. But what I will promise you is that if we do these hard things and we don't get through it, we'll go home knowing that we didn't leave anything on the table. There was never a lever that we didn't pull. How do you develop and maintain that? I would add to the way you said that, that I can promise you that by working together, we have a really good chance to get through this. In addition, by working together, if we run into problems that will prevent us from getting through it, then we're going to develop even the better plan because the process is always developing the better longer-term plan. So about emotional resilience, I have to tell you one precious story to me about Bill Ford and your, your question about, have you ever seen Alan down, so to speak? And so Bill Ford tells this story, Bryce, where I came to see him on a Monday morning. and he says, the way he describes it is, my gosh, Alan, you're looking kind of worried and tired. Is everything okay? And I said, oh, yeah, everything's great, Bill. I, I, I am a little bit tired because I, I joined three of our five kids in New York City to go to see a, a Lady Gaga concert. And, <laughs> and, and, I, and I, I'm not a late night person, so I am a little bit tired. But I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be better next day or so. And Bill loves to tell that story. And the real answer to your question goes back to the working together principles and practices and the management system. And it's the process of working together, the creating value roadmap, everybody's included, the business plan review, and also the behaviors. And then the role of the leader as a facilitator, as a coach, and holding themselves and everybody accountable for following the process and the behaviors. And so the best thing I can do is to do that job. And people always say, well, well, how do you sleep at night when all this is going on? And so I said, I sleep really well because we've just gone over all of the issues. We know the plan. We know the areas of special attention. And everybody's helping each other turn the reds, yellows, and green. The most important thing I do is go home, get some sleep, and come back with energy and enthusiasm and working together because I know, I know that, that if we work together this way, that there's nothing that we can't overcome and we'll be able to create a, an exciting company for us going forward. And so that process allows you to deal with the reality over and over again when, when things are going well and also when you have challenges. But they're all gems. And, and by knowing the gems, we can turn the reds to yellows to greens. That's so powerful, Alan. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. But even more than that, thank you so much for giving us this model of leadership that was so powerful in saving two really important companies. And, and I think it can be so powerful for leaders at any business, in any organization to look at as an example of what leadership can be, what leadership should be, and what leadership needs to be in times like this. Thank you. Thank you, Bryce. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to this inaugural episode of the Thinking Leader podcast. I'll be putting some links to articles and additional information about Alan's management model and his vaunted business plan review process in the show notes. So please take a minute and check those out. And if you want to learn more about Alan's fight to save Ford Motor Company, check out my book, American Icon, available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. 
And here's something else really cool. If you go to my website, brycehoffman.com, B-R-Y-C-E-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.com, and sign up for my newsletter, you'll be entered into a drawing for a free copy of American Icon signed by Alan Mulally himself, as well as yours truly. Finally, if you liked what you heard today, I hope you'll subscribe to our show. In our next episode, I'll be interviewing Dr. Gary Klein, one of the foremost authorities on human decision-making and the creator of pre-mortem analysis, an incredibly effective technique for stress testing strategies and making better decisions in a complex world. I promise you it will be another fascinating discussion, chock full of actionable insights you can put into practice right away. Until next time, this is Bryce Hoffman signing off. Thank you for listening to the Thinking Leader Podcast, sponsored by Red Team Thinking. To subscribe to Bryce's free newsletter, visit his website, brycehoffman.com. And don't forget to follow Bryce on social media. You can find him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Bryce Hoffman, all one word. That's B-R-Y-C-E-H-O-F-F-M-A-N. And to learn more about Bryce's company, Red Team Thinking, visit us at redteamthinking.com.